Today on the show, we discuss what makes a monster and what makes a man. With worms in their brain. <laughs> Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Bruce. I'm Caleb. And we are back for, oh God, what is what season number are we on? Do you know? The, the latest one. The latest one. The, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure about the extent to which we're doing season numbers because of how much we've also done spinoffs at this point. True, true. But regardless... It's been a while, we're back in style, and we're ready to roll with the game of the year. Game of... Honestly, let's let's be real. Like, good chance this becomes game of the decade. Of the decade. This is uh, what Skyrim was to 2010s. Like, I... Honestly, Baldur's Gate 3 has been an incredible game start to finish... I did not even know about Baldur's Gate or Larian Studios until um, this summer when it was starting to launch and I started hearing like stuff and I waited until launch day to play it and it became my entire life. It's still just being replayed and I don't replay a lot of games. I am replaying this for like the third or fourth time. There's It's huge. There's so much stuff going on. Um, and honestly, I couldn't wait to start doing a lore party episode on this stuff. I'm I'm honestly on the what is it same same uh, result end of the spectrum. I'm on the opposite <laughs> end of the discovery spectrum, where uh, I was a fan of um, the I was a massive fan of uh, Divinity, and. Uh, was trying to get people to do Divinity episodes way back in the day, but no one else wanted to play those games. Well, maybe now they will. Yeah, honestly, it's that's uh, the we need to get the feedback, get in everyone's uh, replies, tell them you want Divinity episodes now. Got to get into that juicy Rivalon elf lore. I think we're gonna jump <laughs> um, into it. Honestly, why not? Yeah. With that though, um, I was a big fan of that game. So when they announced they were doing the next Baldur's Gate game. I'm like I've been excited for years for this game and following its development. I was all over early access when it dropped. Like uh, I, I remember back when uh, in the earliest version of early access, back when Gale was an asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, what patch was that then? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know. They, but yeah, the that the earliest version of the release just had like gale didn't you didn't pull gale out of the sigil he walked out of the sigil and just condescended at you for like 10 minutes before joining your party <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much everyone <laughs> like everyone just condescended at you and it was just complained. kind of a dick yeah like now, now we still have a little bit of a dick, but I think uh, ev- everyone's dickishness is a lot more reined in than it used to be. <laughs> nice, nice. Just chodes all around. But, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the, 
<laughs> oh no, they they straight up rewrote uh, Will's entire story. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. We'll we'll talk about that later. But today yeah. we are talking specifically about the 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 true star of Baldur's Gate three, the Illithids. It's been, I, I think, something that we've talked about for a while now. Um, but it was more or less revolving around uh, the whole premise of Baldur's Gate 3, which was, you know, what makes an illithid an illithid, what makes you, you, and basically what, you know, how much of you is left over in becoming an illithid. So first, we're we're first letting you know that, like, if you haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, or you're in the middle of Baldur's Gate 3, or maybe just played it once and didn't get all of the different lore and story stuff, spoilers abound. You have to make sure that we are like um, not spoiling you for anything. So if you don't want to hear anything about the whole game's like little secrets and Easter eggs or all the different lore there, try to finish it up as best you can, and then you can come back to us. I think um, another uh, general asterisk and i'm saying this now to save myself from having to save this before like half of the things i'm going to be saying is um a lot of the other lore we're going to be diving into is elements of D's forgotten realms lore which has is decades old and gets rewritten constantly and often contradicts itself so there are going to be some elements and i'll uh, specify when and where but uh, if anyone ever says that, like, actually, according to the books, this X, Y, or Z is true, um, that's one book, and a different book probably says a different thing, and everything contradicts itself. So there is there is a degree to which um, this is going to be, like, broad aggregate information from multiple sources when we're talking about things that are outside of the canon of, very specifically, Baldur's Gate 3, the game. Exactly. In fact, everyone might be right, you know, in a perfect world. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Everyone might be a little bit right. Everyone might be a little bit mindful. Every, everyone has just a couple points in the, what is it, the, the illithid powers tree. <laughs> so first we're going to be talking about what it means to become a mind flayer. Because a mind flayer cannot exist without first taking its host, it kind of begs the question of how much of anyone is left after becoming an illithid, if at all. And then we're going to talk about, you know, the biology of mind flayers, their history, and then talk about, you know, the mind flayer characters that we see in the game, uh, coupled with some of the lore that uh, Caleb has so tirelessly looked through and combed through in all of the different uh, books that he could find from the Forgotten Realms lore, and uh, kind of come with at least our own personal conclusions about this question. They literally have a second edition source book called The Illithiad. <laughs> Can you get it on Amazon? That is, uh, I cough, cough. I found a PDF on DMs. Oh, you found it. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's sometimes it's just lying around on the internet. Yes. Everyone's cool with it. Everyone's cool with it. Yes. Everyone's cool with it, listeners. It's fine. 
Uh, but before that, we'd love to uh, let you all know that we love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at loreparty.com with your thoughts and episode ideas. Or honestly, if you just want to rant to us and say that we've missed this very particular piece of lore from a very obscure book that talks about mind flayers that we may not or may have talked on during this episode that you'd like us to talk about more or that, you know, you just wanted to see our take on it, go ahead and send that to us. And of course, you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. So uh, first question is, why talk about this? It took a long time for me to kind of like land on this because I definitely wanted to talk about lore on Baldur's Gate 3 and as someone who plays a lot of D&D and has played for, you know, over half a decade at this point, it's been uh, a wonderful thing to kind of like show what I already know, what I've already learned, and uh, then put it with Baldur's Gate 3. But I think it was great to just maybe do a first episode on, you know, the the big thing that the entire game revolves around, which is Mind Flayers. It's something that is also not super dependent on people's playthroughs. You're always going to see the mind flares and i think it would be a good way to introduce this next uh you know series of episodes and becoming a mind flayer is something that you know you're obsessed about your character uh whether origin or original or dirge otherwise uh is obsessed with at the very beginning to the very end because that's something that you may become whether by uh your own choice or involuntarily it's always just in the back of your head. When is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I make others become mind flayers? It's just, I don't know. It, it feels like it's a, it's a great way to start, you know, in exploring this new lore heavy video game. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of the more iconic elements from just this broader, uh, forgotten realms lore and has a lot of, um, rich history to it so just being able to tap into that and like build off of just how honestly interesting of a concept like how and just, or even just unsettling like it's one of those things that when you hear about like the way that it works it you're just uh it's creepy and uncomfortable in a way that sticks with you yeah yeah and stick with you, it truly does, both in and out of game. <laughs> but uh, first, let's do an early ad break, and then we'll see you right back. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, they're back. I was getting worried there for a second. <laughs> Hopefully they all stayed with us. The Yeah, I mean... Okay, one person left, but from what I can see, it looks like they'll be back. Related. I'm so, I'm so oh yeah, yeah. They had to they had to get back to work. It's yeah. okay. You oh, guys they're are back. Cool. Okay. Hey, hey thanks, thanks for they coming just, back. They, they they just skipped a little <laughs> bit far ahead on the uh, timeline scrubber. Hey, there that's fine. Whatever. I get it. You know, capitalism makes fools of us all. Anyway, yes. Uh, first, we will talk about the biology of the elephid. The life cycle of the mind flayer is a parasitic one. Uh, it begins when an elithid tadpole is placed into the mind of a host, uh, slowly but almost abruptly turning it into a mind flare, fully fledged and formed into the world. This 
is a very interesting part of the mind flayer life cycle as it shows that they cannot exist without hosts. They cannot exist without people and humans or any other living sentient uh, creature. It carries out the will of the elder brain or higher mind flares. Uh, so it's kind of a hierarchical uh, system of uh, its mind flayer society. And it, again, uh, can then turn into a fully fledged mind flayer, which then either enacts its will upon uh, citizens or denizens of any other plane that it may happen upon and find more unsuspecting victims to drop more of these tadpoles usually into their eyes uh, as it burrows into their brain and begins the cycle anew. But I will say the eyes, interestingly, wasn't in the original books that I was finding. Most of the ones that I was looking at uh, were more uh, ears. Yeah, um, that's gross. Little, a little bit more an anamorphs energy. Ew. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, okay. Uh, tadpole to your head. Uh, what, what are you choosing? Um, I mean, are am I choosing like what? go turn into a mind flayer or not? What is no, the... that's that's gonna happen. That's out of your control. But the mind flayer whom has you tied to a table is giving you your choice. What orifice are you gonna uh, take the tadpole? I think. Uh, but bo both would suck ear. Like, I, I just don't want to have to watch it. <laughs> like, you can't really get away from that if it's in your eye. Yeah. It's, uh, they like, but bo both are, both are uncomfortable. I mean, here's the other flip side party full of druids fighting a bunch of ear crawling aliens. Like that's just the animorphs. <laughs> I never read them. Like, actually. I don't know anything they, about it. I mean, you've played Baldur's Gate three, so so that's it, animorphs. That's pretty Jesus. much the next best thing. That's pretty much the next best thing. Oh wow! Okay, I guess I should get into that. I I guess I would say uh, mouth because I would at least give them a hard time by just like trying to spit or chew it out. But I'm sure they'd get me eventually. Yeah. And gross though. It would taste horrible. I'm sure. Could we could we do like a parasite the Maxime type of deal <laughs> where like it takes it takes an arm instead? <laughs> uh <laughs> sure I, I guess we could do that so in Baldur's gate 3 very very early uh almost probably the first thing our character uh origin or otherwise uh sees is a mind flare uh holding a tadpole up to our cornea as it begins to burrow itself into our cranium uh on the nautiloid uh, the Mind Flayers are a very vicious race doing this to any and everyone uh, that they can find to do what they are uh, hoping to create the, uh, something called the Grand Design, which we'll talk about later. But it, it's usually just done without their consent. I don't think there's a lot of races or individuals out there who are just super chill with that. Uh, but Caleb, I think you have a little bit more on this in the yeah. source books. Yeah, I think the, I will say that um, this is one of the interesting elements where I think the source books and the games have a little bit of interesting uh, difference. It's stated pretty overtly in the source books that um, uh, Seramorphosis robs the host of its identity um, 
into its new life as a mind flayer. And, and seramorphosis and, is known as just like the, the process in which a yeah. host turns into a mind flayer. Exactly. And the, like, functionally, the um, books are pretty overt that this is the same as a character dying of the mind flayer. The mind flayer has replaced the original personality and the, and while the mind flayer may have the memories, the individual itself is no longer there. Whereas Baldur's Gate 3 directly contradicts that by having... Some exceptions. By having some exceptions to that. It has at least one character who pretty clearly seems to have um, at one point been a, a historical figure uh, that you meet that appears to have at least enough of their original memories that they uh, like cling to some of their... Uh, old names and relationships, even if their personality's been warped. But then on the flip side, you also end up in situations where several, you as a player, or several of your party members can become mind flayers. And tellingly, you don't lose control of your character when that happens. You transform and you retain the bulk of who you are. Right. Um, yeah, and so the... Um, elements of that are uh, contradict that you the people who transform do have some form of like psionic assistance in their transformation so it's possible that to some degree um someone is helping them keep some part of themselves but it's just it is an interesting uh element of the story that does fly in the face of what the books themselves say right so Baldur's Gate 3 takes heavily from uh specifically i would say five fifth edition not 5e but fifth edition um i mean one and the same but just you know for technical terms uh dungeons and dragons wizard of the coast wizards of the coast and um you know it's building mostly from that but obviously kind of writing its own story there and at least in story and in the game uh most of the people that you talk to kind of have that very similar defeatist attitude. There's not much of any way to uh, gain control or reverse such uh, a transformation. Um, And in the game, it just kind of shows this very legendary act of being able to do that. And that kind of meshes in, but, and as we'll kind of go on, it's just very unheard of, but almost immediately once you're able to get through the tutorial level on the nautiloid you kind of go around looking for a cure and almost everyone who's at least somewhat knowledgeable or capable of doing anything from healing to you know crazy wild magic is talking to you like you are you know a dead man walking uh they explain to you in gruesome grotesque and excruciating detail all of what happens to you as you start to lose all of your mental faculties and your skin starts changing color and your fever starts running higher. It's honestly one of the most terrifying things. And each person who you talk to just makes the whole situation so much dire uh, every single time. So that kind of brings us to Mind Flayer history. The Mind Flayers have been around for a while, and uh, they've been around in the D&D universe for a very long time. They've always been uh, 
characterized by their usually purple skin, squid faces, I believe like cloaks or just some very otherworldly dress, and wanting to enact the grand design, uh, a sort of master plan of turning the entire world into mind flayers under the control of their entire race. They don't really do this out of, you know, a, a, a need to help the world or, you know, make the multiverse a better place because there is order. It's just sort of what they do. It's their nature. They're power hungry, multiversal, alien, parasitic species that want nothing but to create, you know, more of itself like gray goo. Yeah. For a long period of time, they were a part of that. Uh major um civilization where they did have originally have control of most of the multiverse and multiple races under their uh, psionic uh, subjugation like living as their thralls and then eventually that changed yeah and it all started with the gith what we know now as the modern Descendants of the Gith are the Gith Yankee, a race that were previously enslaved by the Mind Flayers to do their bidding, but instead rebelled against them, uh, against their, in their mother tongue, a Geik. Am I saying that right? Geik. Uh, Geik. Geik. Masters and cultivated their own. We actually first meet a Gith Yankee as our uh, first uh, companion uh, on the Nautiloid during the tutorial, uh, Lazel, who understands the severity of the situation almost immediately and wants very desperately to uh, take your character and find the nearest crash, which is sort of like a home base or a school hospital kind of like uh, location for Gith Yankee on the material plane and other places yeah, okay. to find some sort of cure. It is a, uh, specifically a uh, crash is a, um, more of a hatchery where it's it's where young Gith Yankee get trained and taught to fight, and then when they kill a mind flayer is when they're officially allowed to go to the astral plane with the rest of their people. Beautiful, and I mean you know this has been a very long relationship between the Gith Yankee and the mind flayers. They they are they are sworn enemies with both diametrically opposed to one another's plans where the Githyanki want to completely exterminate the mind flayers as they are a constant threat to all life in the multiverse. Whereas of course the mind flayers want nothing more than to subjugate the entirety of the multiverse under their thumb and rule as uh, their mind flayer uh, slaves uh, once more and back into an age of the grand design. Mm-hmm. And the like, where a lot of the rebellion had originally come from is that um, the original, uh, like, mo- I guess, mother of the Gith Yankee was a originally a slave named Gith, um, who led the rebellion to overthrow the Mind Flayers, and among. Uh, Gith's followers and army. Eventually, there was another faction that um, broke away called the uh, Gith Zerai, which followed another philosopher named uh, Zerthamon. And so um, the Gith Zerai were a lot more neutral, a lot more peaceful, still hated mind flayers, but were a lot more go home, sit in the corner, and 
um, stay away from doing things and stay away rather than trying to uh, themselves um, expand an empire. But the thing that complicated the Gith Yankees history is the fact that uh, Gith was ended up being uh, betrayed and killed by her advisor in a pact with the dragons. And that's why Gith Yankee ride dragons, and that's why Gith isn't Gith herself isn't in uh, Baldur's Gate Three. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then you know, what would you say, Caleb? Uh, is your kind of impression, or like at least what you would say is the player's first impression in meeting Lazel and uh, later on in the first act meeting uh, Kithrak Voss and the Gith Yankee people as a whole. In my original solo playthrough, Uh-oh. Lizelle was not alive when we reached Act 2. Okay. You and my wife both uh, have let this woman die, <laughs> and I don't understand it. She is doing the best she's got. <laughs> Vlacketh wanted us to go into the prism to kill our dream visitor, and... I, as much as I'm all on team, let's kill the dream visitor for unrelated reasons. Um, at the time, I was not on board with that plan. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess I was more just asking what, you know, the characteristics of like how the Gith Yankee feel about the mind flayers. Like they did not seem at all like forgiving about anyone, even okay. if they're their own. Uh, being infected. I think, it, I mean, it definitely makes, it definitely makes um, lore sense why they're like it in the sense of any version of us that could potentially be um, weak enough to be cooperative could potentially become weak enough to be subjugated again. And having that be such a core part of your history, I can see how that would become something that would just be very uh like defining and um central to get yankee ideology but at the same time it's worth uh pointing out that vlaketh is lying and um she betrayed and killed gith and she doesn't actually plan to ascend any of her followers She's a lich who consumes their souls to extend her own life. <laughs> we are going to lose all of our Githyanki sponsorships and viewerships because of that, Caleb. Yeah. I just, I would just want to let you know that it's going to be rough. We're, man, the, uh, so you're going to hear a, an ad for uh, <laughs> silver swords and um, plus one medium plate armor later. Um, well, the, it's actually going to be a uh, blank dead air now because, uh, the Gith Yankee pulled their support of it. Actually, don't worry about it. I already got a new one, and we're going to play it right now. Wait, what? <laughs> Wasn't that a great ad? Not for Gith Yankee stuff, because we ruined that base. But hey, we got that yeah, one. We got, we got a new sponsor, <laughs> and it was great. So now we're going to get to the segment of the episode where we kind of talk about the mind flayers that we know in game specifically. So obviously we see a mind flayer almost immediately on the Nautiloid, but this is your kind of like run of the mill mind flayer under the thrall of the mother brain, grand design, yada, yada, yada. 
As I said before, they're squid-headed, mind-munching monsters devoid of most of any personality or characteristics of their previous hosts. Uh, They clamor for the same thing. They need brains. They need to make more people uh, or make more mind flayer people. And, um, you know, that's it. That's all they got. Uh, They do talk uh, from time to time telepathically, but really it's just that. I will say we don't see a whole lot of this in the game, but the books are pretty explicit that um, that mind flayers are do still have a individuality even after their uh, transformation. So it isn't like a Borg situation where they're all part of a shared collective singular hive mind. They still have their psionic powers, but um, they are they still are and identify as individuals yeah like fascists uh, yeah (laughs) exactly exactly like fascists uh so beyond that of who we see on the nautiloid the first at least non-hostile mind flayer that we meet that isn't bleeding on the ground is omelum who is just a rogue mind flayer who broke free of the elder brain's thrall down in the Underdark. Uh, He's a member of the Brilliant Society, which is, you know, dedicated to learning more about the Underdark. And it's more of like an intellectual uh, scientific community. The Society of Brilliance is actually, it's a little bit broader than the Underdark specifically. Oh. But um, that's what what, um, Omelum overall is working on. Omelum specifically is trying to develop his alchemy abilities in the hopes of finding an alternative for brains for mind flayers and in the meantime living off of the brains of people who are uh cruel or tyrannical which thankfully for i i say thankfully in quotes <laughs> which um unfortunately but conveniently um there are a lot of in the underdark absolutely and your character kind of meets omelum of course uh, rattle and shaken because the last time they were face to face with the mind flare, it was on much more different terms. Uh, but truly, he is my dude, like just honest to God, uh, a, a super chill guy who's just like, Hey, I broke free, I'm uh, clear of that. Uh, and he said that he was able to, um, just break free of it uh, through uh, innate sorcerer's powers and really just is trying to do uh, his best as an individual and and no longer uh, being kind of a part of whatever the grand design was trying to do. Um, For the entire time, uh, I myself was just thinking, okay, when's he going to betray me? And the moment never came and I like was just, so proud of him. It was just Omelum is my guy. He came in. He came in clutch in the Iron Throne. Absolutely, like he was just Iron, there for it. Iron Throne was a uh, rough, but he came in clutch. Yeah, and then of course the other one that we don't know immediately is a mind flayer, but did uh, also act as an ally was uh, the Emperor who we learn in uh, the beginning of Act 3, was a mind flare all along and not uh, the beautiful, hot, 
dream visitor that I spent an hour making my first playthrough. Exactly. And not only was he an adventurer, he wasn't any adventurer. He was, in fact, um, Balderon, the founder of the city of Baldur's Gate, who was turned into a mind flayer by the Elder Brain. Um, specifically, it was actually by the Elder Brain who would later go on to become the Absolute. Could you even imagine the kind of feeling that you would have if that happened to you in real life? That there was a dream visitor who turns out to be a mind flare, and then you go through all this stuff and you're trying to save the world, and then it turns out that it's like George Washington? Like... <laughs> George Washington got turned into a unspeakable eldritch creature <laughs> um, uh, and decided to appear in my dreams as a hot chick. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bizarre sequence of events. <laughs> it makes me so upset because <laughs> I'm just like, what the hell? You didn't think that was important information? He could have just appeared in people's dreams as Balderon. Like, I would have been like, yes, sir. Absolutely, Mr. Balderon. What else do you need? Like, like it's just, it's so, uh, it's so bizarre. Um, do you think that would be less believable than just, you know, some made up person saying that they're an adventurer? Because like, I would kind of, if I would have a dream and then in that dream, George Washington comes up to me and says, my boy, the city, this world, it needs you, and we must help each other. I will help you. I was once an adventurer like you, and then I created the United States of America. We must work together to save it from the grand design. I'd be like, I need to stop drinking before bed. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's fair. I think, look, I mean, to be fair, like, few, like years, years ago, uh, what is it? Uh, Guild Wars 2 tried pretty much the same plot twist, where it was, hey, this character's been lying to you, they're actually a famous historical figure, why they didn't just tell you they were this person the entire time, <laughs> um, to make you want to work with them, and make you suspicious when you found out they were lying about who they were, I don't know, <laughs> but hey. I wonder if it's like a whole thing of like being a celebrity where it's just like, I don't want to be noticed, I don't want people to know. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to pretend to be an, like, unrelated person. Then, it, then they then they start, I, you know, giving me favors and saying how much they love Baldur's Gate. And I'm like, I had no part in planning the city layout. And, you know, it, uh, it's just a whole thing. I didn't want to go through it. <laughs> exactly. Like, so um, all of all of this joking aside, um, Baldurin turned into the Mayan Flayer known as the Emperor. But the thing that complicated this is um he his friend Anser the bronze dragon uh managed to free him from the elder brain's control and was looking for a way to turn him uh back from being an illithid and reverse the transformation um Balderon was not on board with this and kind of dug being a mind flayer which led to Anser to attempt to kill him but ended up being killed in the attempt and the, again, all of this being stacked on top of it in the game was so much for my character because <laughs> I was like so excited to go through these like cool heroes trials and actually get to meet a dragon and have to like talk my way through it. And then I just come over to a corpse <laughs> of a dragon yeah, 
It wakes up and says, I'm talking to you, Balderon. And then it's the mind player emperor. And I'm just like, excuse me. Like, look, some days you just want to walk up to uh, zombie Thomas Jefferson and not have him immediately (laughs) call out. uh, (laughs) What is it? Uh, Eldritch squid George Washington. No, 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 no. This isn't even like if it's Thomas Jefferson being on sore. It is like Bigfoot. Zombie Bigfoot saying, I'm not going to work with you, George Washington. You killed me. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on right now? Zombie Bigfoot rejected George Washington. They used to be good friends. They used to be buds. (laughs) He's a mystical creature and he's the founder of the country and be like what is when did this happen the epic war between paul bunyan and his ox exactly like what the fuck (laughs) Uh, so those are two like bigger examples of at least mind flayer characters whom we're able to discuss and debate you know what it means to be a mind flayer and omelum shows us that you know, through his own, you know, innate abilities and force of will, he was able to break free and live a very peaceful life and working towards, you know, ending what his people are doing. But the emperor is uh, one who was kind of, say, like we were talking about through like the mystical powers that be and then him finding the uh, the artifact uh, with Orpheus within it that kind of shows hey, they're a mind flayer, but it doesn't always have to be in the same way. But now I'd like to talk about the mind flayer that one can become in the game. So at the end of Act 3, when all hope is lost, we uh, did not get that 99 uh, save in uh, the last attempt to get the ender brain on our side with the uh, stones we are then also parenthetically even if you do get the uh, 99 save have you seen what happens if you do get oh it? yeah yeah my wife did it first try it was maddening it was <laughs> infuriating that's, <laughs> to that's see insane that. uh but a- after all those failures um you know you are dragged back to the astral plane with the emperor and your group and the emperor just basically explains, we can't do this without someone thinking like, like a mind flayer, but having the power of Orpheus. Orpheus, of course, is the uh, Yankee prince who has been uh, shelled up in the prison of the artifact uh, for, what was it, like a thousand years? Mm-hmm. And basically what the emperor has been kind of using to keep everyone from turning into a mind flayer or being enthralled in the... Uh, elder and or ender brains uh thrall uh power and you have to kind of choose who gets to lose their identity forever and become a mind flare the best game mm-hmm. so th- there's a number of different people who can do it but uh caleb why don't you go first yeah and so uh with that anyone can take the astral plane touch tadpole to become a mind flayer um and they can combine with uh, orpheus's ability uh, for that 
so yeah, so you have a few options as far as uh, people who like can take it and can uh, do it. Uh, Orpheus can turn into a mind flayer, but still retains um, his sense of identity. Um, he uh, attempts to kill himself um, at the end of it. You can uh, dialogue check him out of it, but like still retains enough of his... Uh, sense of self that it includes his hatred of mind flayers the in my run the person who actually became a mind flayer was actually carlac um yeah because uh that uh she she did that specifically to prevent her uh engine from destroying her and you know what i mean i guess that's uh a, a cool loophole out of it because then you it, won't need that yeah and it worked how was she like once she transformed she was still herself and they like stated it and she actually states it outright where uh, you can get into a dialogue with her afterwards. And she outright says that she's um, like still feels like herself still uh, recognizes herself. So um, I can also attest cause I just did this for uh, a very previous playthrough was uh, the emperor also asked to just get Orpheus's power. However, in order to do that, you do have to kill Orpheus, which Lazel usually doesn't like. And I found it very interesting because through almost all the different playthroughs I did, I rejected that option. And the Emperor is just like, you are dooming us. This sucks. I'm out of here. And he just sides with the Enderbrain and you have to fight him. The last one I did, I said, okay, Emperor, let's see what you got. And I let him eat Orpheus's brain and gain his power. And I'll be damned if he did not keep up his end of the bargain. It was so weird because I thought that was just like a, an inevitable thing where uh, the emperor is just going to betray you regardless, or he wanted the power for himself uh, so he could, you know, be the next elder brain or leader of the mind flayers. But it was very interesting to see that like he would have definitely been able to be your savior and help and stop everything and then just continue. I don't know, like that it, it was just very strange to see that. Like why would you even side with it the is it elder is brain? strange to see that. I will say before we give um before we give uh Balderon slash the Emperor too much credit <laughs> Just a general general asterisk reminder. Um, the emperor is still a bastard. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, mind mind flayers have individuality and uh, you know have a mind of their own, and it's because they have a mind of their own that I can say the emperor is a goddamn bastard who uh, mind controlled uh, Duke Stelmane. Oh yeah, he's and, he's uh, canceled. <laughs> <laughs> killed, killed his best friend sucks like yeah this, we, we don't even know, know if they were actually best friends uh, in one option that you can say if you're like really mean to the emperor he will just completely throw down all airs and all pleasantries and just say you know what that's right i just paraded stelmane around like a marionette it was just theater because i wanted to and i'm not doing that to you and Good lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like, And then that's on top of the fact that he killed his best friend, Bigfoot slash Thomas Jefferson slash <laughs> <laughs> like, 
it was, it, it, yeah, it like it, it, in no way is this excusing everything that uh, Balderon the Emperor has done. Um, it is just to me more or less confusing because I'm just like, okay, but we were going to just give this to somebody else. Why do you want it? What's up? Like, if you can't have it, you're just going to side with the Enderbrain. Like, it to that, it kind of felt like he was being uh, more Mind Flayer than Balderon, but there was still some Balderon in there. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, the last uh, option is, uh, other than any of the origin characters, uh, the Emperor or Orpheus is you. Uh, the Tav slash OC slash original character that is put slash into here. Dark Urge. Slash Dark Urge can be able to uh, take on the form of a Mind Flare, uh, which was uh, a very interesting thing to see. I have not personally done it, but I have seen uh, some playthroughs with that, which is very interesting of like how you make that transformation. Again, you are still cognizant in who you are and what's going on and what you want to do. Um, and uh, a very interesting uh moment that happens in the new epilogue that's added in Baldur's Gate 3 shows that as you're talking to one of your friends at the party, uh, you have this overwhelming urge to want to eat their brain. And you have to like make a roll and like try and resist that urge of like just having to, you know, attack them right then and there to get their brain, which is like a very scary moment that shows that you know a happily ever after but you are still like cursed and like there is still this horrible hunger in you and this innate instinct to devour intelligence that will never really leave you oh no i have to spend out the rest of my days as the main character in like a creepy ya novel (laughs) yeah if there's any dlc that's gonna be weird (laughs) um but yeah the the interesting element of this though and i think this is the point of emphasis is that um you despite having to make those checks you don't lose control of your character after you transform you still control the you still control your character um you just have a bunch of mind player abilities now and um, the implication within that is that you haven't died. You are still as much you as you were before. Mm-hmm. And it leads to a um, really interesting uh, bit at the end, um, another epilogue conversation. And I think this is the thing that a lot of people um, have probably been, uh, a lot of you have probably been yelling at your respective uh, car radios or smartphones or... Um, <laughs> whatever you're playing this back on for us to finally get around to addressing because it on a um, glance, it looks like it answers our questions directly. But um, at the conclusion, there's a moment where um, Withers slash uh, Jurgle is taunting the dead three for their absolute plot and basically saying that it wouldn't work. Um, An element of the gods in this universe is that they sustain and grow their power based off of their worshippers. And a big part of what the Dead Three's plot in the Absolute was, is they were hoping to use the Mind Flayer army um, to get themselves a bunch of new followers. But uh, Jurgle 
tells them outright that um, you can't use mortal souls um, as worshippers by turning them into mind flayers because they lose their soul upon transformation. And so that sounds like the statement is that they mind flayers lack souls, which I'm going to come in here with my own interpretation and say, <laughs> I don't think that's what Jurgle's saying. I think that the in context, what he's saying is that um, unwilling, unmodified seromorphosis, because it functions similarly to death and the soul of the host returns to the plane of um, their god or gods, um, using seromorphosis to create worshippers isn't going to give them that divine power as actually having worshippers. And the biggest giveaway to that is that a D&D lore, and this is both relatively recent books and older books, so this you know is from the books, but this mm -hmm. is from a lot of the books, does actually list two Mind Flayer deities. Um, and I'm probably butchering these names, but Whoa. I'm going to make a goddamn attempt at it. Ilsensign and um, Manzenkorian. That last one sounded drow. Yeah, and they uh, do draw their power from worshippers, um, even when an illithid's actual devotion is to um, an elder brain in the technically incorrect belief that an elder brain will eat the mind flayer's consciousness and that the mind flayer's consciousness will join the elder brain, um, even though that's not true. It's the same lie as Vlacketh. But it does show that mind flayer worship does result in the creation of deities and Manzikorian, um also is a dead god like he eventually died due to a lack of worshippers which confirms fully that the presence or absence of worship from a mind flayer can sustain or starve a god hmm. if uh which means that if the dead th the dead three could in theory have mind flayer worshippers but that means that they would need to have mind flayers who chose to worship the dead three, not subjugate the control of an elder brain and just say it's mind flayers are theirs. Yeah, this was a very sloppy, dumb plan from the beginning, but I love how dumb and how sloppy it is because it's still just a threat regardless. But this is such a oh, yeah. massive oversight from the dead three. I mean, for the love of gods, it's just the the clearest thing it, it, i don't know if it's because they have so few followers but to not know that mind flayers are just like not going to give them that same thing is crazy so the dead three are do actually have a specific in lore reason for their being dumbasses um, <laughs> and it's because they all used to be mortals wow i didn't know that yeah um bane uh bane ball and merkel um were all uh, mortals at one point well, that and explains their power hungriness. They overthrew the uh, previous uh, god of death, Jurgle, the god who stepped down and let them take over, which officially means that Withers is technically the god of saying, fuck it, I quit. And, He's the rightful um, ruler? He's the rightful well, god of death? Yeah, Jur Jurgle was the... I, he's not rightful god of death. He is the original god of death. To me, that's um, right. The but yeah he was he was the god of death he he didn't even get overthrown he quit and gave it to them it's just like all right you three think you can do better let's see it and they just <laughs> proved proved to be colossal dumbasses oh my god I love that and just that Withers is able to just be at the end and be like ah oh, not so easy huh 
yeah that's that's what the that's why the whole uh, conversation at the end was significant um i still think i still think that uh dumbass though they are uh still not as still not as bad of a dumbass as char who's uh the you know um the Faerun goddess of um, pointless sibling rivalries. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that, we have learned a lot. I've learned a lot for sure from all of your additional research here. But to wrap it up, I pose this question back to you, Caleb, in telling me your thoughts on how much of a person and of a mortal and an individual is left after seramorphosis. So I am going to say that there are, I think that there are two answers and okay. I'm going to say that the first answer is that there are ways to, that individuality can survive seramorphosis, seramorphosis. I don't think it's what is normally happens when you become a mind flayer, but I think that it is, pretty unambiguous that it has the potential to happen but then at the same time i think that whether um you have that assistance or not i think that a mind flayer is fully an individual with a soul one way or the other whether it is the same individual may depend on the circumstances but i don't think there's any getting around the fact that a mind flayer is an individual with the capacity to make their own uh, choices and similarly, the power to sustain or starve a god. Mm. Mm. But there is an interesting theory that could uh, counter the first half of my theory on if it's true. And there isn't a whole lot in the game that overtly hints this, aside from a few interesting coincidences, but I want to float it uh, anyway. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts when we hear uh, your final answer on this. Sure. But um, the possibility that you never play as a um, regular person in Baldur's Gate 3, that you are the mind player the entire time. Because you gain control of the character immediately after they're infested, and you lose control of the character immediately after the infestation ends one way or the other. Um... To me, I don't think that. Uh, maybe from an interactive storytelling like headcanon, maybe. But to me, it's just that's how a role player game kind of starts. You're controlling this person, and they're they're at the right place at the right time. I mean, if that is true, I feel like any character in Baldur's Gate three or any uh, character in the D and D universe where mind players exist could possibly be controlled by just a mind flare tadpole and then as soon as you leave them in your head and stop playing them they turn into a mind flare <laughs> uh but to me i feel that this whole uh situation i guess if you can call it that sounds a bit more traumatic than just a situation but regardless it feels more of like the philosophical exercise of the ship of theseus if you're familiar mm -hmm. it's uh for those who don't know at home it's the uh thought of you know a, a ship uh called theseus that went on this voyage off you know its port uh and through all of its adventures and battles and time at sea uh was broken and replaced with uh, a different part until by the time it returned back to its original port 
was made up of completely different parts, all replaced little by little. And the question is, are you, is that still the ship of Theseus or is that a completely different ship? Um, Much in the same way, I feel like whoever uh, is turned into a mind flare or an elithid is still there um, because the change happens so abruptly. I don't feel like there is any way to not uh, still be who you are. And really, I mean, mind flayers have, again, a thrall to them, uh, and elithids have this telekinetic and telepathic way of mind control, uh, which could certainly uh, be in a way of, like, not just changing the, um, you know, chemical makeup of your brain, but the physical, turning you into a mind flayer could only be a part of it. And as we have seen in some of these examples in Baldur's Gate 3, there are ways to get around this, uh, at least in keeping your own personality, your wants, needs, desires uh, for at least a time. And to me, that feels like the perfect cut in the thread here that it shows it can be done and that more of that could be done. Maybe not now in where Baldur's Gate 3 is, but in the future of that setting, it looks like if the if the power of the gods and if the power of uh, the weave can allow itself, not only could one break free of their uh, of the control under themselves, but if you can be able to still keep your own wits about you, what's stopping you from? reverting that entire uh, transformation back to who you once were. I, it would definitely take a lot of time, but optimistically, I feel like you are still there. It's changed you, it's morphed you, and, you know, perversed your entire um, makeup. But under all of that, you are still you. It's just really changed it and destroyed only what your form was and what your your brain was to you and making you you but it's still there and if there's some way that you can kind of reverse it i feel like that could happen so what i took from that is you consider astarian to be the ship of theseus (laughs) well i mean it's the same thing with vampires their personality (laughs) changes after you know going through this change and now they're a little more power hungry and they're, you know, they don't like competitors. They're a lot more like, you know, predatorial and, you know, that's not what they used to be. They're still them and they still had that personality. But to me, I feel like that's just a, a lower grade version of seromorphosis. Mm-hmm. And that, that definitely makes sense. I think um, with all of that though, I think uh, that's about going to wrap it up. We hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Later. Don't let the worms bite. <laughs> <laughs>